You're listening to Once, episode 225, Swan Song. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. We've got the whole game here to talk about this mid-season finale, also known as the winter finale, Swan Song, episode 11 of season five. Maybe the most irritating episode <laughs> of Once Upon a Time <laughs> Ever. Agreed. I know there were bad episodes. And I think we all have to accept that, yes, there were some bad episodes, either stupid or pointless or filler or dwarves hatching out of eggs kind of bad. (laughs) (laughs) But this, I think we speak for the entire community here when we say this was probably the most frustrating episode you just mentioned the episode dreamy and people who've listened for a long time remember how i felt about that episode do you know that having rewatched season one with various people i've seen that episode three or four times and over time it actually grew on me and i could actually probably sit here and talk about some really interestingly quality points in that episode that yeah that's true i think we could say that for a lot of episodes and we might say that someday for this episode now do please understand we are fans of the show we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we weren't fans of the show i'm giving this little disclaimer ahead of time because this episode and our conversation might be a bit more negative than we usually are i'm not predicting Predicting that, but I'm allowing for that possibility because many of the fans have also been very negative against this as well. Uh, we're still fans, but we do have to speak about things objectively, and sometimes that does mean criticizing certain things here and there. So please don't think we're attacking the show and get ready for some things, but we do have some cool things to talk about as well. So let's get into this. <laughs> We're going to go through this topically instead of digging it out uh, scene by scene. And we'll start with the battle against snuffing out the light. The the thing that was seemingly the premise of this whole first half of the season. And I thought this is the final battle, light versus darkness. The thing that was predicted in episode mm-hmm. one, the final battle will begin. Yes. You know. However... And I've mentioned this a few times. I predicted early on that they'd keep the stakes pretty vague, keep the definition of snuffing out the light vague. We knew that this was all building to snuffing out the light, but we weren't going to have any idea what that looked like, what was going to happen. We'd probably see a fairly empty town. Things would probably feel a little underwhelming. That's often been sort of the way the seasons or the story arcs end. But the payoff can still be good in many cases as much as i criticized the way they pulled off say the curse of shattered sight it was still really touching the way that that whole story arc ended but this obviously we have some mixed feelings or some different feelings i'd kind of like to preface all of our discussion with this crackpot theory 
<laughs> and I'm going to refer to something once in a while, and I want you all to understand what it is. As we're considering this in each point in the broader story arc of everything we've seen, I want you to consider this crackpot theory. The last episode, Broken Heart, was unsupervised. What do you mean? <laughs> it was a major fork in the road for a lot of pieces of this story arc. And then this episode felt in certain ways like they were trying to correct mistakes made in that single episode. Hmm. So as we're going, just keep in the back of your minds, let's consider how some of these elements that seemed so strange to us would have felt to us without having seen Broken Heart. Hmm. For example, most of Hook's insane rage was in Broken Heart. A lot of things that set up for this week that I felt like we sort of course corrected back from were set up in that episode. So if you hear me say, but that happened in the unsupervised episode, that's what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like maybe it didn't quite have the correct stamp of approval before it was put out. And I'm wondering how there's still plenty in this episode that stands on its own as course altering. Mm -hmm. Who wrote the episode? When is it Broken Heart? Dana Horgan, both of whom are, by the way, um, new writers from season four. This is only their second year on the show. Correct. And they don't have, they, they do various things on the show, it looks like, but maybe not even a lot of writing. And so there so was they some... just got off probation and nobody <laughs> checked their work. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. <laughs> well, it's not that I want to criticize them as people. However, it felt <laughs> as though they could have used some more input before the episode was actually made. In some ways, I feel like this season is very similar to season two, Mm -hmm. where they had (laughs) it going in a certain direction. And then in the middle of their plans, they decide to change their mind and quickly wrap up loose ends, quickly Mm -hmm. tie up things and go a completely different direction. And there was nothing to do but just dump squid ink everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You look at previous seasons, even the last season, season four. There were arcs that spread across the hiatus. Instead of it just being first half of the season was one arc, second half a different arc. Yes, there was some of that, but there were also arcs that spread over that. Like looking for the author. That started not in the mid-season finale, but that started in the middle of the first half of the season. There wasn't anything like that here. Nothing to carry us over. It seemed like they decided to quickly wrap up all of these loose ends so that we can go to the underworld. They didn't even wrap up all of the loose ends, though. You know, this has been kind of something we've been talking about a lot at the forums this week, which is the Camelot crew. Because we didn't see Arthur, Guinevere, or Merida at all in this episode. And, I mean, what happened to them? And this may be a case where... Though we have a couple of different story arcs for the year, and we have the sort of 11 or 12 episodes on, three months roughly off, and then another 11 or 12 episodes back on before the end of the season, it's more like one story arc with two parts, potentially. Not entirely, but that may be why they've kept some of the Camelot people around, potentially, or in play, and sort of kept Merida from having had a final scene unless I hope that they are coming back and that there was intent behind it and not just, well, you get the idea. They said goodbye in some way like everybody else does. Well, and that, that does happen occasionally, but it does. I hope it comes back. I, 
I think like just since since you topic like titled this topic the battle against snuffing out the light, I started thinking back to the beginning of this season and how that was described as then was Emma's loved ones holding her back from really, really embracing the darkness to its fullest extent. And then in this episode, the dark ones only attacked Emma's loved ones. They didn't, they did, they could have just, you know, all branded the seven dwarfs to trade spots with them. It was very pointed who they chose. They chose, you know, the Scoobies, that group of people that all hang out together and fight the darkness. I feel like Jeremy, you said in a previous episode, don't, don't exposit what you're saying to me. Act like Mm -hmm. don't just (laughs) say it. But I feel like they're doing like the opposite. They should be exposed. Like they should be telling us their intentions more clearly with the big things like this. But instead, they're just acting and expecting that we're going to understand the intention behind it versus they're they're being so clear about the little itty bitty things Mm -hmm. that nobody cares about and can be communicated with, you know, Emma's broken hearted crying face at the end of the episode. (laughs) Well, and just don't, uh, you know, raise the stakes beyond what can be delivered. So, you know, going back to the shattered site, because it's the one that always comes to mind, is the whole town really are people going to die? Or are they just going to hate each other for a little while? Like, what's really going to happen? And it's harder sometimes because it's always Storybrooke that's at stake. And they don't really hire any extras anymore. So you feel like it's just (laughs) our core group running around this empty town. And really, if that's the case, maybe some of the people living in the woods could move in somewhere. And, (laughs) you know, if it's going to be, we're going to take out Emma's family so she stays a dark one and goes fully dark. That's cool. That's Fine. I mean, those are high enough stakes. In fact, they can say something vague like snuff out the light. And that sounds like it could be really scary. But when they started at the end of the premiere of the season, showing the montage of all the things that might be holding Emma back. Honestly, I thought for a second that she was going to go on a rampage and like start killing people. I only thought that for a second because clearly that's not going to happen. But that was scarier to me than any undefined high stakes promise of tension one of the big problems is is that the way those high stakes play out is that it feels so for me inconsistent with the mythology of the show that i spend most of the time trying to figure out how something happened instead of being intrigued and interested in these high stakes finales that adam and eddie are trying to sell you know I was more worried about how on earth did the dark ones actually come back when we've been told time and time again, you know, dead is dead. And I didn't really understand how this was possible except through some random magical MacGuffin, these things that keep appearing every single episode now. And because I was trying to figure out the plot mechanics, Mm -hmm. I couldn't actually focus on the emotional and narrative drive. Yeah, combined with the fact that we actually know one or two more past dark ones than we actually got to see in this return of all of them. Mm -hmm. And with the idea being that when one person kills the dark one with the dagger, the darkness transfers into that person, that person becomes the dark one. Each of those dead people was not just inherently a dark one by birth. So wherever they might be, they shouldn't be a dark one anymore. Exactly. Because, Emma was supposed to have absorbed all of the darkness, making her the dark one. And then she tethered Hook, and that's how he got some of it. But then all of these people are still dark ones. It, it, it's that plot mechanics thing mm-hmm. that I can't wrap my head around. So then I can't really follow the story, and it becomes 
so uncompelling. The one thing it is a little bit more consistent with is at the end of the episode when Emma can hear the dagger calling out to her. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. kind of nice that Rumple was surprised by that because and pointed out that, well, she's the only dark one to have ever survived or the only former dark one to be alive. Mm-hmm. And But did he hear it? Uh, he could probably hear it or maybe he didn't have to hear it because the dagger is in his control. Well, now it is, but before it wasn't. But even that. True. Every other time there were voices, they specifically said, the dagger's calling to its other half. Yeah. Which doesn't exist anymore. Right. So what's it doing? Just maybe pining away after the dead sword? <laughs> maybe they will find, though, that somehow there is still a connection to her and the dagger. Just unless she has become completely white, like completely light magic or whatever. She, if maybe whatever darkness is still left in her, she just needs to pull a pick Taylor Swift and say, We are never, ever, 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 ever getting back together. <laughs> like, ever. I just figured out the transcendent story of the show. The dark is it Taylor one, Taylor Swift's on, <laughs> the dark one destroyed Excalibur's happy ending. This is a love story between one end of Excalibur and the other. The dagger wants the dark one dead. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't be too surprised if there was something like that. It's all just basically like a cork. Think of it that way. And that oh, will gosh. make no sense. Hook's father was really neat to see. No, he wasn't. But <laughs> let me rephrase that. It was cool to get to meet Hook's father, uh-huh. but disappointing that he wasn't anything that we had hoped for. He was thought. Rumpel's father redo, yeah. but not as compelling. Yeah, Rumpel's father wanted adventure. Hook's father wanted freedom. He was a coward, I suppose. Well, most people are. Most people are. Most people are <laughs> cowards, however, maybe not to the point of running away and trading their children for a means of escape. If everybody was a hero, we wouldn't be so interested in watching shows about heroes. That's true. I mean, he was not a nice man because he left his children, but... I just... Maybe the threat wasn't even there when he was trying to get Hook to go to sleep. Maybe I should call him Killian because he certainly wasn't Hook at that point in his life. (laughs) But he just felt... I would have liked to see him seem a little more tortured from an adult perspective. Like when he was talking with young Hook, young Hook was like, I want to be just like you. His dad said, that's nice, son. And then usually when you see that kind of thing, they're like, oh, you don't want to be like me. You want to be like a better version. And he's just like, oh, that's nice. Thanks. Like, and then he leaves him. Especially because his father is obviously on the run from something nefarious. So he should have this sort of internal conflict about how it's a compliment from his son, but it's not one he should be willing to accept. And none of that comes across. I'd hoped that Hook's father would be Davy Jones. And we'd theorized about that. <laughs> yeah. But we did get to see that his first name is Brennan. Brennan Jones. It was listed in the press release. And on the letter of transit, it did say Brennan Jones. Brennan, by the way, means um, a, couple, a couple different things. It could mean brave or little raven or teardrop. And we were theorizing a little bit about... What happened to Liam? Because everyone's connected in some way, and especially if there's a family member, then 
they oh, don't simply Liam. disappear. So, are you talking about Liam two? Yes, yes. The or Liam, Liam one. <laughs> he went to Forgotten Character Island. He will never be seen again. He's in the Forgotten Character Island orphanage with the Lost Boys <laughs> from season three. And Hansel and Gretel. And Hansel and Gretel. I had wanted him to be Arthur somehow, but we've pretty much determined <laughs> that uh, that probably well, doesn't work from a timeline perspective. Yeah. Someone at the forums, though, did theorize that Liam is short for William. So it's possible, just maybe, <gasps> that he's Will from Wonderland. Yes. No, because that'll just disappoint me. Because yeah, they're back for what episode, and then they'll never finish the story. Daniel, when do they care about the timeline in recent <laughs> seasons? You know, actually, timeline might be what they're more consistent with, except for typos, than um, retroactive uh, storylines. Well, if they want to make something fit, they just throw in a sleeping curse. Yeah. Well, and this guy was under a sleeping curse. Yeah. Yeah. Did he prick his finger on a spinning wheel? I was thinking at first when he started talking, I was thinking that he was like somehow related to Aurora, but yeah, I wonder or that to that storyline. Well, I'm wondering how he was able to hear a nurse through the sleeping curse unless she was injecting him with squid ink. <laughs> <laughs> well, and how do you fall in love with just someone? I mean, yes, in high fairy tales, I guess you would have that, but not as <laughs> Once Upon a Time has set up their version of how people fall in love. We've had sleeping curses. But people who are woken through True Love's kiss out of a sleeping curse do so because they've had all this meaningful interaction. And God. Not just because, you know, someone whispered sweet nothings in your ear while you were unconscious. Well, because you can't marry a guy you just met that day. <laughs> we're all stuck on how did he even hear her? But think about this nurse. She fell in love with a man she'd never even seen awake. They make other stories. Mary Margaret did that with David at the hospital. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that spoke to the fact that they were really snow and charming and they're in a cursed reality. And that was kind of beautiful and poetic. It was bleeding through. (laughs) Florence Nightingale effect, as Matthew Paul points out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Maybe she is Florence Nightingale. Ooh. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Go with it. Okay. Jeremy. All right. Like like the fictional London version of Florence Nightingale. Exactly. She's fictional... 18 whatever London because we have Victorian we have the 1920s I'm sure there's a fictional London where Florence Nightingale is running around we have a plague (laughs) exactly oh my gosh she's really Florence Nightingale (laughs) (laughs) one thing I really liked about the Hook's father storyline is that he kept talking about you know what kind of man are you going to be I liked that it talked about the choice that we all have over and over again and then it ultimately led to you know Hook's choice to not succumb to the darkness and to sacrifice himself. But that theme was really true to the show. Um, It's very much about darkness in somebody doesn't make somebody dark. It's the choices that you make with that darkness, just like Rumpelstiltskin constantly chooses to be not a nice person because of his darkness instead of choosing to be a nice person. But I liked that recurring statement over and over again um, and how they wrapped it all back when Hook decided to make the choice that he made at the end with Emma. I want to know how Regina knew all of this because she was just in yes. two very small scenes before in, in the flashback. I want to know how she knew that was Hook's father. I want to know, how, you know, there has to be like a missing scene where Hook kills his father and then goes back to the castle 
and meets with Regina and I don't know cries about it. Yeah, tells her everything, <laughs> confesses everything he's done and like all these emotional significant things that have happened to him. And then, you know, the two never, ever talk about it ever again. Ah, but she was watching through a mirror in those days. Yeah, because magic. I would buy that. I It's still one of those things. Though, like, But how did she know that was his father to begin with? Right. You know, I mean, did she see this guy in a bar and was like, oh, I should keep an eye on him in case I happen to stumble into a re- pirate who's heck bent on revenge? I don't understand. Well, it could be that she researched him, Hook, that is. And discovered, ah, he has a father that abandoned him. And hey, look how convenient. His father is actually still alive through my old friend, the sleeping curse. Sleeping (laughs) curse. I'll have to keep that in mind for a little later. Maybe. Okay, I won't nitpick. Well, this was magic mirror days too, right? Yeah. So she could have just asked Sydney, "Tell tell me about this guy. I mean, Hook's been around now for 200 years. There's no one who remembers Lieutenant Killian Jones. Well, magic. And sure as heck, no one who... Oh, right, right. Let's hand wave it. Okay. (laughs) I think I agree with the basic idea that DeAndre sent in saying, I like the fact that Regina gave Hook a test before she sent him to kill Cora, even though it's quite clear that she sent him straight away in 209 queen of hearts did they completely dip this episode in squid ink or what (laughs) when could this have taken place at all there is no way this could have happened according to the events back in season two when hook went to wonderland to kill cora i'm sorry but how can you forget such an important detail this is quite aggravating and disappointing but i extend them grace and love and i forgive them for this transgression see they're learning from Our little speech. Okay, now I'm being funny. But I hope in the future, (laughs) if they plan to reference anything that has already happened in previous seasons, that they cover every single detail because this doesn't align with canon or the timeline at all. I would say that I kind of felt like even for this story, what happened in this episode, this whole flashback thing, learning about Hook's father. Okay, it's neat or it was nice to learn a little bit more about Hook's backstory. But for this episode, I kind of mm-hmm. felt like it was completely unnecessary. I would have rather yes. they fit in more to make this episode make more sense in Storybrooke yeah. than give us mm-hmm. a flashback. I agree. Um, this simply because I think I, I kind of I get where they were trying to go with the flashback, but it felt more than just rushed. It felt it felt plugged in. And so, you know, there were there were little back and forth things I thought. Well, has his father really changed? I think so. I think he was a very, very simple character who made a mistake and then, because reasons, was still alive, even though Hook was very, very old as well. And initially, Hook actually had compassion, so we actually see more of a struggle between his, well, I don't know what we would call it, his good side and his dark side. We see more of that struggle in these flashbacks than we've seen in Storybrooke. And since when, by the way, are letters of transit needed to travel within the Enchanted Forest? Well, we don't know if it was only within the Enchanted Forest. It sounded like he was going to travel far away from the Enchanted Forest. And maybe because of how far or the method of transport he was going to use, he needed letters of transit. Maybe. Maybe he was going to Camelot. I also wasn't sure how he could procure these letters of transit since you would seem to need to go through local government of some kind, which might be the queen. And he was trying to hide from Regina, so I think that... He's a pirate. I know. 
but they were <laughs> figure it out <laughs> official i suppose i just think that it was a weird detail that took some clock cycles of my brain so to speak that i wasn't actively thinking about it the first time i watched it but it was distracting they need some way for brennan to drop the bombshell that he's got a second kid because they need then the motivation for hook to eventually kill brennan but i agree that it's kind of this weird and again i'm back to plot mechanics where i'm distracted by those instead of the narrative of, you know, like the emotional drive, because it, it's one of those things where they haven't spent enough time consistently world building. So I have no idea how any of that worked. Here's where the crackpot theory of the unsupervised episode ties back in. It's <laughs> yeah. like they come to write this finale and they look at what got put out unsupervised the week before and they're like, no, Hook wasn't supposed to hate Emma. He was supposed to be struggling with what kind of man he wants to be. And you were supposed to be building <laughs> this into his backstory. Now we have to do it all in the finale. Thanks a lot. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this, it's funny that this was the mid-season finale and that there's so much tie into Queen of Hearts, which was the mid-season finale in season two, where season two just decided to have a big downfall after that in my opinion and then there's yeah there's the tie-in with hook and regina and queen of hearts and then there's another tie-in which we're gonna have to talk about later with emma's heart in queen of hearts mm. oh yes so i know where you're going with that it just seems like a mid-season finale kind of yeah disaster i do like the unsupervised episode theory though i really like that <laughs> they should have put the flashbacks from this episode in last week's episode instead of whatever they did which i can't even remember and then <laughs> just it was the final camelot stuff wasn't it yeah and then they would have just been fine for this episode it's sort of the same with saying goodbye to zelina yeah yeah and it's like no guys we can't have them marching off to the underworld with Zelina in town. You were supposed to take care of the Zelina problem in your episode. Why didn't you do that? Now we have to just do it quickly. And she feels really... I, I will admit the Zelina portion of this episode was probably my favorite stuff. That's true. But <laughs> it, it does go back to kind of that inconsistent feeling between the week before and this week. You know, last week they hand her little baby pistachio and <laughs> I don't care what they name her. She's pistachio. Uh -huh. She did call her own baby green bean. And that's very close to a pistachio, even though it's not a bean. She could, should have called it a green nut maybe, but did you notice that Zelina changed the apples on the table in the office? They were green they instead were green. of red. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but you know, in the un, what do you call it? The unsupervised episode, uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, Robbie and Gina hand <laughs> Zelita the baby, and you see just this fraction of a moment where you can tell that she does want this unconditional love of this child. Single tear. Where the single tear, you know, <laughs> she's willing to, you feel like, okay, maybe, maybe this is the start of that redemption arc for Zelina. And then the very next episode, without being inside Zelina's head, without being just with her alone, trying to figure out where her internal struggles are, suddenly it's, I've decided I'm taking this baby and I'm going to raise it to be wicked. Right, she's back on Wicked Crazy Zelina. I think she was always Wicked Crazy Zelina. <laughs> she was having moments, right? Because when women have babies, their hormones go all crazy. Oh, so she was, just, <laughs> she was having a moment of like sanity and then it just... <laughs> It she wasn't pregnant long enough to have the hormones. I, or maybe she has more. <laughs> like being off Verselina is normal for the rest of us? Yes. <laughs> she was having an off moment when she came back to her senses. She wanted the baby to be all hers. 
Yeah, I mean, in a way that's true. And there's a really great thread actually over at the forums right now started by Price of Magic. And she has outlined all of the villains and how Zelina is actually the only one who is still the exact same as when we met her. If not more so. (laughs) If not more so. So she is still, we talk a lot about characters being OOC out of character, but Zelina is still very much in character. It just feels really disjointed from what we saw in the unsupervised episode. When she was sucked up into the tornado through the clock tower, (laughs) as apparently everybody's got to go through the clock tower at some point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The insurance policy on that must be going up. (laughs) She said... I'm not done. You will see me again. Yeah. So you think we will? Like, this would be the first time, other than Rumpel, this would be the first villain who returns again and again as a villain. They gave us the specific location that Regina sent her, so we don't even have to worry about that. They only did it, I believe, because they couldn't justify dragging her (laughs) to the underworld along with the rest of them. They also couldn't justify leaving her in town. So they had to do something with her. But here's another little thing that bothers me. Regina was able to use the wand. So that means that it, using the wand to bring them back instead of a dark curse from Camelot actually is less problematic with that little bit of, oh, well, now I believe in myself. So now I can use it, which I guess is it actually works with what they established a little bit better than a lot of other things I can think of. So even if you think, well, the only way to get the wand to take them back from Camelot to Storybrooke would have been to have Zelina do it and she didn't want to help. Well, that's not even a thing either. So they totally could have done that. Was it consistent, though? Because if you think back to the season premiere, The Dark Swan, the reason why Regina couldn't use the wand was, as Hook said, she's gone soft. And she's not wicked enough anymore. Oh, you're right. That is what they said. But we took issue with that. We, oh, we took tons of issue with it. I agree. Because that's not the thesis of the show. <laughs> but now this time around, it's, oh, all I needed to do was believe in myself. And now I can, you know, use the thingy, as Selena <laughs> called it. <laughs> I love, though, like Regina was just as surprised that it worked. Like, did you guys see that look on her face? Where I didn't take it that way. She touched it. Oh, it looked, to me, it looked like she was surprised that it worked. Oh. (laughs) And then it looked like she was having so much fun when she sent her sister through the twister. But so Hook saying, you know, that she's gone soft, that's just Hook talking. Like, that that wasn't, like, from a reliable source. It was just gossip, basically. But she still couldn't use it. But because she didn't believe in herself, maybe that's why. But we took issue with that then because... That didn't make any sense. Like, Zelina doesn't have any good in her, so why would she be able to use it? Wasn't the theory that it had to be somebody who had both? Right. Who could uh, equally use light magic and dark magic. Which is totally Regina, not Zelina. Yeah. I I mean, I think we can attempt to rationalize it, and (laughs) it will somehow it will probably come out okay with our rationalization. It's just it's (laughs) one of those things where try for consistency and if there is something deeper like maybe regina didn't believe in herself back in 501 you know she was too upset over emma and what had just happened and so you know she's kind of shaken or whatever okay but you have to show me these things not expect me to be able to rationalize you know with four other people on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) now this rationalization with four other people in a podcast has been brought to you by you. <laughs> <laughs> <We> really... 
<laughs> we really appreciate your support of the podcast because we could not do this without you. I know sometimes you're rolling our eyes just as much as we are at the show, but <laughs> the podcast, based on feedback, some people keep watching the show because they listen to the podcast. And uh, I'll read a review later from someone who actually said kind of uh, the opposite might happen at some point, but that's a teaser for later when I thank our reviewers. But for this episode, I want to thank those who are heroes to this episode of the podcast and supported it. Lisa Slack, David Newland, Jennifer A. Treese, and our 32 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support. We really could not do this without you because... It costs money to do the podcast, to do things like have the Once Upon a Time costume contest. Just today, I was ordering the things and mailing them out to the winners Ooh. of the costume contest. Congratulations again to the winners. And uh, there are other things, too, like getting the episodes in high-definition version that we can all watch and, and stuff like that. There are costs in addition to hosting the website and the media files and plugins for WordPress and all kinds of things like that. So we really could not do this without you. So thank you very much, Lisa, David, Jennifer, and our 32 heroes on Patreon for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to support an episode or several episodes, like on an ongoing basis, please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. There are several options there for how you can support the podcast and do your Christmas shopping if you'd like to. But please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to be a hero for the podcast. And thank you for your support. So while all of this is happening in this episode, what this episode forgets, but clearly the viewers haven't because you are a smart viewer of this TV show. You're a smart <laughs> listener to this podcast. Camelot and Merida, what happened to them? Yeah. What happened to Arthur trying to make Storybrooke into the new Camelot? They rode off into the sunset. Oh. Well, now he can make Storybook into the new Camelot because nobody else is there. I was going to say, maybe they all... Wouldn't they turn into trees? Accidentally turned into trees. Well, yeah, I don't know what happened to that whole idea of him turning it into the new Camelot. Because that was pretty early on in the season before maybe a, a shift in the story. And that idea, I think, got left behind. But Jessica Frey points out that King Arthur could be in jail. Yeah. It's still the question, though, of... If that's the case, then, you know, what's Guinevere doing? Because at this point, she is still um, under the effects of the sand. Right. And, you know, I would really like it if they would break that. And I don't have to continue to believe that she's going to be under the effects of that sand forever. Right. Jessica Olson sent in this feedback saying, Arthur and Guinevere and all of Camelot, actually, are just kind of hanging out in Storybrooke now. Also, they never addressed the issue with Arthur controlling Guinevere. Since there also seems to be a side story with Lancelot, I don't feel like the Camelot story was wrapped up. Also, where is Merida? I would like to see more of her, and since she is still kind of seeking revenge against Arthur, that really needs to be addressed still to finish up her story. Also, are we really done with the subplot of Merlin's apprentice and Henry being the author? I really <laughs> thought that would be brought up sometime this half of the season. I assume she means other than the couple little mentions we got here and there. Right. But it didn't really come up ever, except when Henry told Violet that he was a writer. I know he broke the magic quill, but I feel like that was too big of a plot point to just have it be done. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, and what happened to Violet? I mean, that was an important storyline. 
Yeah, we had all of these theories about who's Violet. Is Violet Morgana and is Violet... I, I think at this point, we have to think that... She was a plot device. Yeah, she was a plot device and all of the Camelot stuff, anything tied to Camelot and Arthur is probably being packaged up and shipped to Forgotten Plot Island. Maybe. Which is next door to Forgotten Character Island. Yes. Right. They may have come up with some idea if there was a swerve like it feels like there was they may have decided that some of these subplots could actually be useful in the later part of the season and just sort of delayed the sort of closure on those stories that we haven't gotten yet since everybody you know is walking on water and heading off across the duck pond of doom so i'm reminded back in season 3A when everybody went off to Neverland and in the middle of that arc we went back to Storybrooke and we kind of got caught up on what everybody was doing, Belle and the dwarves and, and Granny while everybody was in Neverland and I'm kind of wondering if we might get an episode like that in season 5B right? where we go back to Storybrooke and we see whatever's going on with Belle, whatever's going on with the dwarves, maybe they're tracking down Arthur and Guinevere and Merida. Yeah, like it or hate it, every episode of Once Upon a Time is telling two stories, really. Yes, that have connections in some ways, but it's essentially two stories in two different places or two different times. Mm -hmm. And they have used that style for nearly every episode. And it's something I don't see them giving up, although there are times I wish they would occasionally give it up so that we could focus more on a particular thing or maybe move the story along a little bit differently. But we're going to continue seeing that, I think, mm-hmm. when we're in the underworld. What kind of flashbacks we see, I don't know. It could be anything, really, since they could meet people in the underworld and then we see flashbacks of how these people got sent to the underworld by Rumpel or Regina or anything like that. I don't know. And then there's what's happening back in Storybrooke. I would be more interested to know what's happening in Storybrooke with everyone gone. I'm afraid that I will probably be more interested in what's happening in Storybrooke (laughs) than anything. (laughs) I am going to hold my breath. However, what we're uh, (laughs) heading into seems a little awkward. (laughs) And speaking of awkward, the quick flip for Hook going back to good was a bit too fast, I think. Now, I can appreciate Emma changing back to good and that... Her removing the darkness changed her back from being the dark one to Emma. That I'm okay with. But Hook changing so quickly, it felt too quick. Like whiplash. Only if you consider the last uh, unsupervised episode. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah, uh, because if there had been more struggle during that episode with him going back and forth and not simply hating Emma and wanting revenge. Now, I don't know how you'd get from... We have to take care of her first to, hey, he just brought all of the Dark Ones from the Underworld without that complete transformation. But, of course, we can't blame it all on an unsupervised episode simply because they spent the entire season having him assuming that they knew at the beginning of the season that he was a Dark One, which I think they did. Mm. I think, maybe. There, you know, we've and we've been all over the whole can you really not know you're the dark one just because your memory was erased thing? But yeah, there just needed to be more struggle to tell me 
because I, I can only conclude that it's either inconsistent with how Dark Oneness works or that that's who he really is, that he really just doesn't truly love Emma or anyone or anything. <laughs> Which I don't think they're going to go that route. I think, you know, Adam and Eddie are definitely sold on the Captain Swan ship. I definitely think that it's, you know, full steam ahead for those two. So I don't think that in Adam and Eddie's mind, that's what's happening. I don't think they think that Hook just doesn't love Emma or anyone. Hmm. I think well. <laughs> I think that it's wildly inconsistent. And I think that, you know, we're back to that idea of we need a fan in the room somewhere going, mm-hmm. guys, you, this is weird. Okay. Don't do this thing. Jacqueline, don't be so modest. We need you hire me. in the room. Hire the nerd. <laughs> hire the nerd. <laughs> Hashtag hire the nerd. Yeah, as of the last two episodes, Dark One Emma has just been Emma with a few strange right. uh, mannerisms and alterations to her appearance. Dark One Hook was whole hog Dark One, and none of it has resembled Rumpelstiltskin's sort of nuanced struggle with the darkness and his own nature and trying to be a good person in spite of it all. So in the end, was he a hero? Hook? Yeah. Yeah. No. How how could he not be a hero? He just sacrificed his life to save everybody. It's not heroism. It's realizing that you've made errors and you almost let a whole group of people die. But in the last second, you changed your mind. And I'm going to quote... Nevermore from the forums who called it a Hail Mary passive consciousness. You know, it's a firefighter who runs into a building to save people. That's a hero. And this is this analogy is from Nevermore. I'm not going to steal it from her. (laughs) But somebody, an arsonist who deliberately sets a building on fire and then at the last second goes, oh, golly, gee whiz, maybe I shouldn't have done this and then decides to douse themselves in kerosene and run in, that's not <laughs> heroism. That's you correcting your mistakes that you never should have done in the first place. Okay, yeah, I, I'm with you. So Emma is the hero because she sacrificed the one she loves most to save everybody else. Emma is definitely the hero because she didn't commit any of this. She didn't bring the dark ones to Storybrooke. But she made him a dark one. She did, and I think she recognizes that that wasn't maybe the best choice. She's willing to take on Hook's sins, save your trope, in order to save the people she loves. So I, I do think Emma's a hero in this. I don't think Hook is. I would call Hook a hero if we saw more evidence through Emma that the darkness was that tough to control. And if we saw more evidence from Hook that he was trying to control it. But instead, it was just Emma loving her family and crying and stuff and not doing anything. Well, we could argue that she wasn't doing anything with magic because it was dark magic, but that didn't stop her the rest of the season. And we have Hook not seeming like himself and saying that Killian died. And to the point that Emma believes it and says it in the beginning of this episode that Killian died. I think you also have to remember, though, that Hook was a pirate. And I think your personality becomes a lot of how you deal with the dark one in you. Precisely. And as a pirate, he just didn't really care about anything. And so... So that's his true th- nature. That's not true, right. though. He <laughs> cared about about Mila. He cared about revenge. He wasn't some lackadaisical pirate. You know, he talks about how his hook has tasted the blood of dozens. He's wearing all these baubles that represent all the people he killed for very petty and selfish reasons. You know, they drank the captain's wine. So... I don't know if the darkness just made all of that come out stronger, 
But at the same time, it's not like it did it to Emma. But you also have to remember that Emma is the savior and she has the most potential for good in her just as much as apparently the most potential for darkness. Sure. But the other point of comparison has to be Rumple. And, you know, you they I feel like you have to look at this as the relationship between Rumple and Belle and what we saw when he was the dark one. So back in the Enchanted Forest, skin deep, probably being the episode we can compare this to. And then look at Broken Heart and Hook and Emma and how they're relating to each other. And with Rumple and Belle, whether you ship it or not, he was never as cruel or as emotionally damaging as Hook was to Emma. He didn't hate Belle over minor things that she did that he didn't like or even big things that would have been against him. He let her go with, you know, his line is, oh, no, I never I don't believe I'll ever see you ever again. I don't know. I it's either really, really inconsistent writing or there's something that they're trying to do with Hook, but maybe not doing it well. (laughs) And I send hate to my Twitter. Um, (laughs) I'm used to it. But (laughs) and I, I mean, I know I'm not exactly Hook's biggest fan, but there is a difference when you compare him to other dark ones. Yes. There was a line in the recap, which would be from the unsupervised episode where (laughs) he, I think, and I think it was put in the recap to sort of remind us slash explain why he's so angry with Emma. And he says that she threw him back into the darkness after he'd spent centuries trying to quell it, which doesn't make a lick of sense, but he did not. He spent centuries pursuing revenge and only very recently started trying to change. And then somewhere along the lines, some of us have started to see him as a good guy. Yeah. It's very challenging to see him as a hero at this point because there was no struggle at all. Not until the very end. Do you know what I think happened with this entire storyline? Okay, so the writers got together and they were like, let's watch season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Jane Espenson has it on DVD. She probably does. Um, And so then they were like, she doesn't need it on DVD. She helped write it or produce it or whatever. (laughs) So then we were like, okay, so clearly Emma is Buffy and clearly Hook is Angel because obviously, right? So in case there are any non-Buffy fans, I don't know if that's even possible for the amount that I talk about Buffy in this podcast. But (laughs) in season two, Buffy unintentionally makes Angel evil because there was a loophole and a curse, whatever. So then Angel's evil. She has multiple chances to kill him and is unable to do it because she loves him. That makes sense. So then in the finale, he opens a portal to the underworld. Are we seeing the similarities here? He opens a portal. It's about to suck everybody into it. And her only choice. Oh, and then suddenly he turns good again, by the way. <laughs> like right the split second before. Yeah, right the split With second the help before. of Buffy's best friend. Willow. Which, yeah. Yes. R- R- Willow. Willow. And by the way, who is what? the one who is staring at Hook going, remember, you know, the test I gave you, yeah. the thing we never swore to talk about. Exactly. Mm. So yep. then what ends up happening is. Buffy ha- like has basically, she has the love of her life back, but she ends up having to sacrifice him. Basically, if you watch the Emma Hook sword through Hook scene, it's exactly like that. <laughs> With a sword, even, she has to sacrifice him so that the portal closes and it takes only him instead of everybody. So I was waiting for Emma to tell 
hook, close your eyes. Close your eyes. <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. Um, well, you know, while we're talking about that beautiful moment, which, I mean, Emma killing hook sounds weird to say it was beautiful, but it really was. It was. And watching it and rewatching it, I felt like crying there. And I'll mention this again later, but they could have stopped the episode there. And I would have said, wow, awesome ending to yes, this season. With the dark ones mid-season. gone for good. Yeah. And, and Emma having to kill Hook and all of that emotion. Ellie sent this feedback saying, I personally thought this episode was really good, but of course you all are entitled to your own opinions. <laughs> it's important to know that I almost never cry when watching TV. Aww. But this episode of Once made me sob. Once Upon a Time is never going to have a perfectly solid plot. Squid Ink! And I agree that they probably had to rush the second half of the season's arc in order to fit all this into 11 episodes. Even though Killian's death isn't permanent, I don't think that took away from the magnitude of his death. Because they showed the aftermath of his death. They showed the morticians removing his corpse and Emma clinging to his body. And that freaking hit me hard. Mm -hmm. Like I was 90% sure that Killian was going to die in this episode. But for me, that doesn't change how sad it is. I might be in the minority here, but I wanted Rumpel to be the dark one again. He is the villain. He is the Grant Ward, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reference, Mm -hmm. of Once Upon a Time. And his relationship with Belle is toxic and always has been. All in all... I did like this, and I tried to see the episode the way the authors were trying to convey it. And I really like this. I I do agree with that. When you look at it in that way, in the story that they're trying to convey, recognizing, yes, they had to cram some things, I, I think the episode will gain more respect over some time. Sure, lots of things messed up <laughs> in, in our opinions. And I think that's a testament too to like the things that we do love about this show. Like we love the acting. The acting is amazing. Oh yeah, the acting in this episode. Fantastic. If Jennifer Morrison mm-hmm. needs to cling and cry to a dead person that she loves one more time, <laughs> I don't know if I could handle that. Like she does it so well. And then she did the aftermath part so well. Like it's just the you know the acting was great the costumes were great that's not what any of us are being negative about in this instance so Correct. but i i agree it was a beautiful idea the story was a beautiful idea no you're right if the characters themselves were bad and the acting was bad i think we'd probably have been done a long time ago it's those things that keep us through certain shaky points yeah now, I have a question. Did it bother anyone else that she changed back into her red jacket and jeans? By that point, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy trying to process the mechanics, again, of what had just happened, particularly considering visual effects-wise, they chose not to show any darkness coming out of Emma, and considering that they had just stood there arguing as though whichever of them stabbed the other with the sword was going to live while the other one died and took all the darkness with them. I just noticed on the second time watching it, it just bothered me because she was not wearing that when she changed into the dark one. It's true. Yeah. She was wearing that all white outfit. Those were her storybook clothes. I suppose if we go back, was she wearing the red jacket in the street when it first surrounded her? She wasn't because... Because uh, it was winter was, and it was cold, so... Yes. So really, she should have been wearing that because she was forged by the Dark One Vault in the White Cloak. 
and mm-hmm. then she put on the other stuff and then she transformed into the leather and so I suppose if you want to go back to before <laughs> before that maybe she's got two red jackets now it's kind of like a red jacket loophole well that's I that's why I mentioned in our pre-show talk that I thought that they were going back in time oh when she changed into the red jacket <laughs> I was a little confused it didn't take long to catch up but <laughs> I think that if we were to stop the episode of Once Upon a Time there, Hook died, uh, Emma is sad, um, Belle is back, even bringing that in to say mm. Belle is back mm-hmm. with Rumple. I think if we stopped the episode there, we would all say things like, it was kind of rushed, but a nice ending, happy ending, beautiful, sad, all of this stuff. But No. There are still two other things that we now have big issues with. And I know we're about an hour into this already. We could spend another hour probably <laughs> talking about this. So be prepared for a long discussion for two more points that we two have to talk about. Big points. Mm-hmm. So here we go with this. Are you ready? I'm ready. Dark one rumple. Dark one rumple and rumple in general. I considered changing my name at the forum this week. Good. By the way. <laughs> From Rumpel's Girl to what? I have been Rumpel's Girl for five years, and I was just like, you know what? I don't know how to do this anymore. <laughs> what I'm would glad. You I'm glad that you're finally on the bandwagon with I, did, I don't know. I mean, I think people would probably still call me RG at this point, but <laughs> I just... You could change it to Mouth Vomit. That's what I felt about this entire ordeal. <laughs> I was screaming very loudly at my television, and it was... It was not good for me. So even with all your spoilers, you didn't know. This was completely unspoiled. None of us Uh knew this. None of us. This is something that Hunter and I didn't know. You know, Matt, the other moderator at the forums, we track these things like crazy and none of us knew. It's because they filmed it inside Gold's shop. Mm -hmm. They filmed it inside and because there is, you know, we had the scene of them at the Duck Pond of Doom. Um, getting ready to open the portal. We knew that that was coming. But because Rumple opening it does not depend on him being the dark one. It just depends on his blood. Right. None of us knew. But he was holding the dagger. Well, we saw a knife, but we didn't. I mean, our filming shots are at night and they are from a distance. But yeah, we didn't know. I, I think that there are a couple things going on here in my mind. One is in a way, a little bit of relief to think, okay, we no longer can or need to hope for Rumpel's redemption because at this point, I think he's proven he has made himself unredeemable. He keeps going back to his nasty habits. At this point, I'm no longer hoping for redemption. I like his character and I love Bobby Carlyle's acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that for Rumpel, it's now... He's all evil. He's all dark one. This has really proved that, that he is going to stay the dark one and he will do that at the cost of anyone around him except maybe Mm -hmm. Belle, but still he's trying to have everything. He at least tried to send Belle away and really didn't expect her to be back, but he also didn't tell her the truth when she came back. Or when she left. Well, when she left... I don't think he had this plan because he sat down and looked at his wrist and the mark on it and cried. Yeah, and it was right after she left that Emma and Regina came into the shop and Mm -hmm. proposed this idea. And that's when he went and got the sword. And then 
had that magic just so happened to be handy that he dripped onto the sword. And so that (sighs) idea came to him. But I think the idea was also planted a little bit earlier on in the episode, even though it didn't come to fruition like this till later. But Hook said this earlier on. I took the dagger from you. Now you've nothing and never will. And at that same time, Rumple said to him, power is only as good as the one who wields it. And you've done nothing but parlor tricks. Almost like... I was so better dark one than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was. Well, yeah. I, I think we would all agree. Rumple is the coolest dark one. <laughs> and what I can like about this is that it means we'll continue to see Rumple as a dark one. I enjoy Rumple as a dark one. The way he, the way that Bobby Carlyle plays the part is amazing. It's incredibly talented. It's entertaining. It's menacing. It's dark. All kinds of awesomeness. Yeah. And now we know that's going to continue, not only in flashbacks. It just seems that the Dark One is a pillar of the foundation of the plot of the entire series as being the one who cast the curse and the reasons that he had for it. And we've now seen the Dark One defeated twice, but not really. So can there be any more satisfaction in that? And yet it feels like it has to happen before the end of the series. Right. But it's like, well, I guess if you can cast the dark curse three times, you can defeat the dark one three times. But is it going to be as trivial the third time as casting the curse was? Is it going to somehow be satisfying? How like what's the end game? Yeah. If they stopped the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What? Five minutes earlier. That beautiful moment of, wow, once upon a time without a dark one, it's been defeated. They're really moving the story and hitting a plot point. (laughs) Excalibur is gone. The dagger is gone. The dark one power is gone out of Emma, out of Hook, out of all existence, it seemed like. But no, they did a little reset. Like they had planned it that way and then changed their minds and didn't even bother to come up with a reason Oh, thankfully, a bottle of magic. Like, they used those words. A bottle of magic was nearby or close at hand. Jeremy, just be grateful. It was He didn't say it was squid ink. I feel responsible for the fact that I feel like it was written as squid ink, and they were like, nah, they've caught on. (laughs) Emma even called it a loophole. It was just blood magic. Just remember, loopholes are what makes the story move forward. True. If there weren't loopholes, then they get stuck. Well, we are stuck, though. We're back at basically square one. The scene, the very final scene here, like, between Dark One, Rumple and Emma is so, it feels so, like, season one. And we are back at square one. And I'm waiting for Emma to take a sword and go fight a dragon. <laughs> because it's a total reason. It's just, uh. I think, though, I think, though, <laughs> that we might be missing the point that there has to be darkness in the show. Or else it doesn't exist. But we have Lily for that. I'm fine with that. Even in the series finale of Buffy, where they literally destroyed the Hellmouth that had been causing all of the trouble for seven years, Giles goes, there's another one in Cleveland. <laughs> like, the darkness can never cease to exist. Good and evil is always going to be good and evil. We can't. I think maybe that's what they're trying to communicate. Even with Rumpel not being the dark one, he could have still been... The villain, right? And this is a little bit consistent with the rule that they've set up in season four. And that was that Rumpel pointed out that magic can't be destroyed. It can only be transformed. 
So to think that this dark one magic could just be destroyed like that. Yes, it could have been very beautiful, a great ending to the series for the dark magic to be completely destroyed. They're being consistent for one thing in this episode. Yes, they are being consistent with the magic transforming or transferring onto someone else. Now, do you think this could be their move to make him the one who can wield it for good instead somehow? No. Because I I mean, I would hope not, but they might do it. I do. And this brings us to one little scene, which is Rumpel and Belle obviously reconsummated their marriage. (laughs) We all know that Emily DeRaven is pregnant. And I think one of the big points of season 5B is going to be Rumpel coming back home and learning that Belle is pregnant with his child. And I think they're going to have him go, oh, gosh, I better stop doing this thing. Hmm. And that's going to be his redemption arc. Because they, Adam and Eddie, just love the idea of children being like the ultimate source of redemption. Yeah, just like for Zelina. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Peter Pan. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't count that out. I, She'll be back. But we've had it with Henry and Regina. We had it to an extent with Regina and Cora. We're probably, I, I do think they'll push Zelina and baby pistachio that direction. And there is a reason why you show those kind of scenes in television. You know, normally to allude to, hey, well, someone might get pregnant. Yeah, TV rules are basically everyone gets pregnant on the first time. <laughs> oh, gosh. Or loses their soul. So, yeah. Or loses their soul. Um, yes. So. Just saying. That's. That's personally where I think they're going. And if they go that direction, then I'll have more reactions. And, you know, maybe that's why this season changed directions so dramatically as to give us whiplash is (laughs) we had been theorizing. I know I said maybe a year or two years ago that what if someday we have a dark one baby? What if Rumpel and Belle have a baby? What what then? Or even more recently, I said, what if Hook and... Emma had a baby while they're both the dark ones. What then? But that was a complete spinoff idea. (laughs) But that was years ago, of course, before Emily DeRaven was pregnant. And I think that maybe what could have happened is that they realized, okay, Emily's pregnant. We need to work this in somehow. So probably the best way to work this in is to make Rumpel the dark one again. And Jennifer... Goodwin is pregnant yes. again, too. So I, I don't see them writing them that one in. Oh, no. They're going to winter coat that one, as Adam said <laughs> in one interview. <laughs> I hate when they pick and choose which ones to write in and which one's not. That's funny. So we have some feedback from the forums. My co-moderator, Matthew, he wrote, nobody, nobody wanted this to happen. They went as dark as they could with Rumpel all last season, season four, to the point where his heart was dying. Then they go through all the trouble of making Rumpel a hero this half of the season, only to backpedal completely. What we fans really wanted was to see Rumpel's character continue to develop without magic as a crutch. Making him the Dark One again undoes all of that completely. To add salt to the wounds, Belle takes him back just before it was revealed he reverted back. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, wasn't the entire point of this story arc to destroy the Dark Ones once and for all. The only quote-unquote good reason... I could think for all of this is that the writers want Rumpel to willingly give up his powers the next time around. But is that what the writers honestly want to do? 
We all fear they really did this because they prefer writing Rumple as a villain and would prefer continue going that route. I kind of agree quite a bit with Matt. The whole uh, white heart thing, too, is something that Matthew brought up there. And that's something that was very easy to forget because of how much it seems they forgot it in this, too. He was <laughs> the hero. Mm-hmm. He had a pure heart, a complete reset on his heart. And now he has all of the power of the Dark Ones in him again. And does this mean his heart is now instantly black again? But, but see, that well, was actually more a problematic construct than anything. And I complained about that <laughs> as it went along because he was a coward before he took the Dark One power. He you know, lived a life. It wasn't like... I mean, the idea of making his heart a blank slate was kind of silly, especially as long as he's still himself. The blank slate almost suggests a hero as sort of two-dimensional as what we saw in the fake world created by the author last year. And he was clearly still a coward at first. And Merida, I guess, got him to do something brave, which somehow turned him into a great hero. But he kind of embraced that, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, Even at the beginning of this episode, it was nice seeing him on the side of the heroes even if he wasn't doing anything other than explaining what had happened to them. There are some lingering questions about this whole situation. Um, For example, I want to know why we're not using the hat to suck out all the darkness from Hook, Nimue, and the rest of the visiting Jawas. (laughs) Did the hat go boom? No, it, it sucked out all the darkness, and then we haven't, seen it since it couldn't hold it's not it. even been- i think yeah it couldn't hold it so it was useless and that's why emma had to take it right right my issue with this scene is the quote combined power of all the dark ones because that's just not consistent the dark ones lose their power when they when they're not the dark one anymore their power transfers he does not it doesn't grow the only right. boost it should have is what she took from merlin and put into hook which again i still there was just no connection to make that dark but they did. They just said, it's dark. He's dark with it. Well, I, think, I don't know why. I think that was like even Nimue wasn't dark until she chose to be dark with the power that she had in her, right? Yeah, but they were certain that Hook would be a dark one if she did it. And I wasn't ever sure why. I'm still yeah. not. The other, for me, really big lingering question here is I don't understand how Rumple has the dagger because we saw Excalibur disintegrate. And I know he did some kind of, you know, <laughs> jar of magic <laughs> that, you know, so that the power would transfer to him. But how does he get the dagger back? We literally see it crumble into nothingness. Mm-hmm. And why even make another dagger? Right. So much of yeah. previous episodes were about cleaving himself from the dagger. And now he's gone and made another one. Right. right, exactly. He could actually have it all, which is what season four was about. He wanted all the Dark One magic and power, but without being tied to the dagger. Although it is a pretty cool looking dagger. <laughs> it's, sure. It's kind sure. of crazy that he said he even said all it took was a little sprinkle. Well, why? Why is it all it took? Why is this all so trivial? Squid ink. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think it was squid ink. And then they were, but they were like, A... Everybody's calling us on the squid ink thing. And B, how is this a bottomless vial of squid ink? 
So they just said it was magic. And they forgot to fill it in. I think it was in brackets and he just spoke the line, a vial of magic, <laughs> instead of remembering to say what it was. I think it was like a, a drop of squid ink, a drop of blood magic, and then it was like lit on fire <laughs> from the burning red room. <laughs> oh, don't forget a drop of true love. Person. Oh, true love. Of course. Yes. And there were like some hairs on it. Well, that's yeah, the, the true hair love, right? from the heart of the <laughs> greatest potential of greatest love and and Lily's darkness. tears <laughs> and Lily's tears. Oh my goodness! We just made like the most powerful magic ever. Remember that recipe, guys? <laughs> it is the magical MacGuffin of the show that would just change everything. So the only thing that has tempered my reaction a little bit to Rumple's whole thing is I had been having previously a bit of a discussion with a friend about some objections I had to developments in Rumpel's character. And I can't even remember, honestly, if it was last season or this season. But he saw the whole thing through a very different lens, sort of one of people who do struggle with some sort of severe addiction. And he sees Rumpel as a classic sort of addict. So I asked him what he thought about it in this case, and he sent me some feedback to share with the show. So he says, so I was thinking about it based on what we previously talked about. Most people, when struggling with anxiety and depression, don't know how to handle what's happening. All energy has to be redirected somewhere. Some people, it's drugs. Others, it's sex. Others go to alcohol. Rumple makes me think of an addict at this point. He's dealt with what he has for so long that like an alcoholic, every day is a battle. He has lived with that power for so long he doesn't know how to live without it. An alcoholic has to stay away from alcohol completely. One sip can be all that is required to send them back. One temptation. So while he was doing great and believing in himself again, he had the world's best drink put in front of him and he couldn't resist. Just like with Bad Bell, <laughs> his addiction overtook him. I came to the conclusion a while back that either I was going to make a decision to get control or it would destroy me. It is the darkness inside everyone that, left unchecked, only seeks to grow. It can feel like power, but left unchecked, it will destroy everything it can until it ultimately destroys the person. Rumpel is at a junction. I would think this may have been his last opportunity, or he may have one more chance before he never turns back. So Definitely addiction. I mean, they use that language, Adam and Eddie do, quite a bit. Right, and, so if, and that's sort of the lens they see him through, and the standpoint from which they're writing him. So it might make a bit more sense why, especially feeling that he'd lost everything else that maybe he couldn't resist, it's still a little convenient to have the vial of magic and have that be all it took mechanics-wise. But removing the mechanics and just saying he had the opportunity and he couldn't resist, I can see it. But it also is why. It, it sort of is vindicating in a sense because i didn't buy that whole oh now he's been wiped clean he's a hero now he's still rumple he's still the rumple that became the dark one originally so it kind of makes sense it doesn't make sense that he could take excalibur except that excalibur decided yeah okay <laughs> apparently i don't know but rumple stiltskin chose to be the dark one once and he chose it again all i'm going to say is that is another parallel to buffy <laughs> <laughs> Assigned viewing <laughs> during this hiatus. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There is more from the forums. This has probably been the, the biggest topic we've talked about this week. Corbin 
wrote in and said, this is the opposite of season 3A. Rumpel was so accepting of being the dark one, using it as a means to an end to find Henry. Then realizing that he has to save everyone, he chose the heroic way out and killed his father to save his family. Now having had the heroic way out of getting Belle out of town and giving Excalibur to Emma and Regina, he decided to undo that by, again, giving into the darkness. This was sloppy, idiotic storytelling that, as much as it caught me off guard, it had me screaming and laughing in anger. I mean, I wanted Rumpel to be the dark one again, but not willingly. If we had seen him be forced upon that darkness again, and as had been foreshadowed with Emma and Merlin, use it for good, I could have dealt with that, but not this. Yeah, that could have been really neat to see him, you know, even seeing him saying something like, no, 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 I don't want this back. And then, and then it yeah. comes on him again. Yeah. yeah, there are all kinds of little things, even just, yeah, that, even... Something weird like somehow Excalibur's hilt just survived and nobody noticed and it was just on the ground and he saw it and he picked it up and it started to transform and transform him and rebuild into the dagger. I don't know. Something other than a vial of magic. Yeah, there was no magicking going on when the sword disintegrated. Yeah, he was They did show him, but... There wasn't even any kind of look on his face or uh, there wasn't any magic glow or even no a mythical wind or anything like that. Really? Why didn't he get taken to the Vault of the Dark One? Yes. He should have disappeared and everybody went, oh, man. <laughs> Unless because he's been a Dark One before and once you're a Dark <laughs> One, you don't have to go back to the Vault. I don't know. Oh, that's... Francisco said, I don't get what the show's creators are trying to do with Rumpelstiltskin. Apparently, he was reformed. Apparently, he had a good, clean heart. Apparently, he was a hero. And then you have him, quote, find, unquote, a loophole that he easily did by sprinkling a potion in the sword and have all his and more powers restored. All this trouble just to get Rumpelstiltskin back where he started is a colossal waste of time. Just like a character from True Blood said, people don't change. They just find new ways to lie. Seems to apply here. What's the whole point? I just need Rumpel to die permanently at the end of season five. If indeed this would be Once's last season. Because that's the only way to do justice to the plot and to the show viewers. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but it might have to. Maybe that will be how they make sense of... The reason that they all decided to march off to the underworld together when it didn't make sense for all of them to go, maybe he'll end up sacrificing himself to send everyone home and just stay there. Which sounds awful, but maybe that's what'll happen. I think the reason it's so hard to see it as a struggle with an addiction is because when he's the dark one, which is most of the time, (laughs) he is sort of portrayed in what we think of as the effect of the dark one. He's more, and it's actually been underlined because he, he got a little more, I don't know if sinister is the right word. He's, he's more angry, I guess. Saying, if my shop's not open, you're not invited, and things like that. He's, he's back to being his old sort of angry, kind of mean, kind of dark self. And so unlike when someone really wants to be rid of an addiction and they're kind of trying to hide it, they don't generally rub it in anybody's face when they find out that they're 
giving in to that again. Whereas because he's the Dark One and because the Dark One kind of makes him a little bit evil as it should have in equal measure Emma and Hook, <laughs> he seems to enjoy it and to want it. Meredith thinks that it was basically inevitable that he would be a Dark One again. She said Rumpel could have killed Hook in the duel and taken back his powers then, but he chose not to because he assumed that Bell would take him back. Then she rejected him. Then the threat of the Dark Ones came. Rumpel was marked, and apparently he did go to the underworld during his death, which was at least three months long. After Bell rejected him and he sent her away, he figured that he was going to die and be sent back to purgatory. So he did what Emma did. He saved a life by getting the curse back. By the way, I think that's an inconsistency, just since we're pointing them all out tonight. <laughs> um, he In the show, Rumpel says that he's been to the underworld and it's not a place he would like to go back to. But he came out of the Vault of the Dark One. Yeah, it, it feels like that's an inconsistency. And the vault was a bit of a loophole to bring him back the first time. He a very sure. cool loophole. Ah, and it, mm. visually interesting. Yeah. The other thing is he's so invested in keeping this a secret from Belle. But now <laughs> Emma, Regina, Robin, Henry, like everybody except Belle essentially knows yeah i'm super mad about that emma should not be bargaining with that chip okay but they're all going to the underworld so it's not like bella find out anytime well i mean henry might just call her because apparently that happens well henry's going too but bella's gonna like wake up and be like why are rumpelstiltskin snow white prince charming emma swan (laughs) queen regina robin hood and henry why have they all left out golly what's going on I mean, what did Rumpel do? Did he leave a note saying, I've gone out for a gallon of milk and a pack of cigs. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> well, and who brings Henry? Who brings a child to the underworld? <laughs> He's not a child anymore. Come on, just look at him. He's 13. <laughs> I don't care. He does not look 13. Well, no, I mean, Jared's grown up quite a bit. He's he's definitely coming into his, his teenage years. But in the show, he's 13. Okay, if that's what you want to say. And, it, you know, <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of the episode, when Rumble's explaining about what's happening, Emma grabs him and is like, stop it. You're scaring Henry. <laughs> exactly. But but what was what were the conditions of their deal? Emma said if Rumple didn't open the portal, she would tell Belle. So the yeah. implication is that because he did, she's not going to tell Belle and she needs to. Well, she doesn't need to. Somebody needs to. Everybody knows now. Emma doesn't have to break her deal by telling Belle. I guess. It's strange. You know, I was under the impression that Rumpel was staying behind. But you're right. I just looked at the scene again, and he is going with everyone else. He's the last one in line. So maybe there will be something like we'll see the next episode. He just like stops and lets everyone else go off. And he's like, yeah, I go to Underworld. That's fine with you. And I'll stay back here with, with Belle. Enjoy your boat ride. (laughs) <laughs> the dark fairy and the first time i heard him i thought they meant like the fairy as in like a tinkerbell fairy and i was like they brought in a dark fairy now what's going oh. on <laughs> that's funny well before we move on to talking about the last part of this discussion i told you this would be a long discussion for these last two points i want to thank some people who left some honest reviews for us in itunes we do really appreciate those reviews even though one of these is not all that positive they did have some positive things to say but we're still grateful that you took time 
to log into iTunes or maybe even create an iTunes account and write a review that you took the time to express your thoughts and ideas. I really appreciate that. So for this episode, I want to thank John the Elder from the United States who said, I've had an up and down relationship with Once Upon a Time, the TV show, lots of down lately, unfortunately, but I always love listening to Daniel and Jeremy, especially when they bring in morals and Christianity, which is a perspective I rarely hear on a TV podcast. H&R from Sweden said, to put this in Once Upon a Time terms, I feel like the podcast is my dagger. There have been times (laughs) I hate it, times when I love it, but no matter how many times I try to get rid of this addiction, it calls me back every week. (laughs) So if you want to know crazy theories, mind-blowing and super geeky once facts, or just to relive the Once Upon a Time episode in a funny way, then go follow this podcast. Do it, do it, do it now. That's... I did say last week that we are Belle and the show is Rumpelstiltskin. Lara Donier from the United States said, this is an awesome podcast, especially the spoilers and gossip. You can't find a group that is more efficient and particular about every once upon a time. Hunter and Jacqueline are the best. Uh Oh, yay. Go us. Go us. Thank you. And Silver Shuffler from the United States said, My favorite part of listening to the podcast is hearing people who represent my worldview talk about Once Upon a Time. That representation has brought some joy back to watching this show, especially when I know offensive things are on the horizon. I also enjoy the speculation with a caveat. It can be, quote, frustrating, unquote, listening to speculation from people who don't look at spoilers. Although the spoiler-free policy does make their stumbling upon a correct theory more special. And that's why we do it that way. (laughs) We like to stumble upon it by having it revealed to us in the show. (laughs) I wish I would have discovered this podcast long before midway through season five. Even if I have to quit the show... I may still listen because this is a rare find. Thank you very much for those kind iTunes reviews and honesty. We really appreciate that. It encourages us and it helps other people find the podcast as well. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet or you haven't subscribed yet, by now, if you're listening this long and you're probably a subscriber, but if you haven't reviewed us yet, then please go to oncepodcast.com and click on the iTunes button to write a review for us in iTunes or the podcast app. And we'd really appreciate that. Thank you very much for that. So let's wrap this up and talk about the underworld. Ah. <laughs> uh, Yes. Yeah. How cheerful, how full of hope, how <laughs> how that little weekly escape I hold so dear. The underworld. Nope. <laughs> this bothered me. I don't know about everyone else, but this bothered me. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So let me just start off by saying the people that they marked. I understand the whole marking thing and we will go into all that later. But I counted and it probably was different in other scenes. But when they're walking, when all the dark ones are walking down the street, I paused it and I counted 17 dark ones. So we've got the six dwarfs plus Regina, Robin, Gold, Mary Margaret, David, and Henry. And there are more at the lake, actually. There are, I counted 21 at the lake. Okay. But that's only 11 people. So where are the other, I guess, 10, if there's 21 people that were marked? Because it wasn't it one for one? Yeah. In fact, through the episode, when you see the Dark Ones approaching everyone, it is one for one. Yeah. So who are the other 10 that were marked? Yeah. Here again, it would have been nice to see townspeople running and screaming and a few of them getting hit who we don't know, like a few of them getting hit with Dark Ones and then being brought like 
even the dwarves being brought to the shore. Yeah, the dwarves who had said earlier on in the season, we're tired of being nobodies and standing back and doing nothing. We want a more (laughs) active role. And whoops, we forgot. They can't even get dragged to the underworld when they're supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. So that was just, well, I have a whole problem with this whole thing. That was just what really bugged me. It irked me so much. I'm like, if they, they kept saying it's one for one, and we know that it's one for one, and they didn't even do one for Although one. Although with their journey to the underworld now, I don't think that one for one matters anymore. No, that was... Coming back at will. Right. Maybe. If they bring back Hulk, who are they going to leave there? Well, that seemed to be answered with the, I'm going to share my heart with Hook thing that Emma threw out there. Yeah. Well, and so here are a couple of things. It was very clear that it was a soul <laughs> for a soul. So unless your heart is what stores your soul, which that could be, whatever. Also, do we, just going back to the Queen of Hearts discussion, do we even know if Emma's heart can be removed from her body? I suppose they could, that she could do it. I'm guessing that's going to be the loophole, but... It's a loophole that I don't particularly like. No. Because that is such a powerful moment. You know, I know season two is kind of one of those ones that we're a little wonky with occasionally, but Queen of Hearts is such a great episode. And I love that Care Bear stare when she tells Cora, love is strength and shoots Cora back. It's like one of those moments where you're just like fist pumping in the air and going, yes, that is such (laughs) a great message from this show. And for it to be like, oh, well, unless Emma wants to take it out, then everything, you know. It's kind of like, oh, but you've destroyed, to me, one of the strongest moments on the show. And it was in season two. And it's preferable. Yeah. <laughs> I loved, that's one of my favorite episodes still. And that is yeah. probably my favorite scene from this show. But going back to one of the things that Aaron just said about, you know, the heart and the soul, Slurpees made a really good point that it makes zero sense why Emma has to go to the underworld to get Hook back. Her plan is to split her heart and share half of it with Hook. Yet, as we saw with Snow and Charming, Regina shoved half of Snow's heart into Charming's lifeless body. There was no need to retrieve Charming's soul from the underworld in order to resurrect him. Aside from plot-driven reasons, why does Emma need to descend to the underworld to retrieve Hook's soul when all she has to do was split her heart in half and shove it into Hook's corpse, which she had right there in Storybrooke, and still does. You know, he's mm-hmm. that's where his body is. Moreover, getting back Hook's immaterial soul, or whatever, makes no sense either, because a heart is a physical substance which needs to be put in a physical vessel. Putting a physical heart into a non-physical spirit doesn't make a lot of sense. And they they did that thing. She says the line, she says her plan, and it almost felt like... There was a a beat where there was silence, almost like crickets. And then Regina assures us it could work. (laughs) Well, maybe we should be able to (laughs) conclude that it could work because it makes sense with something already established. I saw a spoiler, so I can't really comment much more on this (laughs) because just I was still like shocked about the ending. And then the the preview came on for March. Like, why do we got to do that, CTV? Let's smarten up. And so um, I can't really comment much more, but I think I think that maybe if if what they're doing is going to the underworld, if it was a plot device, I think it might be fun. Let's get some more hmm. background here. And <laughs> yes, because there's some confusion here, possibly. 
because as I one of my big hangups when we first saw it and did the initial reaction was that they made it sound just from the examples that they gave that they were making no distinction between the underworld and hell. The underworld is worse than you can possibly imagine. It's going to make you wish the old stories of fire and brimstone were true. It's going to make you wish for death. And then the realization will hit that death has already come. And this fresh torture is all that's left. So that sounds pretty bad, right? (laughs) Uh, But then it was sort of, and maybe it's because they were talking to and about Regina and Rumpel specifically. They referenced people that they had killed. Who would be waiting for them there? And I suppose maybe it's my perspective, but I think of Regina, especially the things that she did, slaughtering whole villages. I think of a lot of, if they're going with a merit-based system, I think of a lot of, you know, sort of innocence being there. And so that just, that was what made me think that their idea was that this was the end place for everyone, no matter who they were, no matter what they had or hadn't done. And that just seemed completely bleak that's maybe not exactly where they're going though yeah i think elsewhere and i couldn't quite find it but i thought somewhere else they said something like when a soul dies it's transported to the underworld like not even this season it was some other season i think i could not find it and i could be completely wrong it could have been this season because they did weave little references of to the underworld in They've talked about back in season two with Philip's soul when it was taken by the rape yeah. that it goes to it just it was like it just goes someplace else. They didn't talk about the underworld. It was just a different I think they actually said different realm. And we've never gotten that story. I know one reason that I would think that King Fergus was communicating because of the ale from the underworld. An ale that I hope they bring back. This is a perfect opportunity to bring it back and still let us see Merida. <laughs> right. See, the, mm-hmm. the underworld makes me think of, well, there's two two things from when I was in university that I had to study, but one of them was Dante's Inferno, which I, I don't recall specific details, but I remember there were like, I think, seven layers of the underworld or of hell. Nine. Nine. Okay. It was close. I'm, I'm very, very familiar with Dante's Inferno. Sorry. And it was like different <laughs> layers, different of uh, the nine were for different types of, of sinners. And so you would be stuck depending on the type of sin that you committed, then you would be stuck kind of in that. And then uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, whose name I can't say properly, but he wrote this, he's an existentialist and he wrote this book that I had to read in French class. So I'm only getting out of it what I could get from reading it in French was like hell is other people. So the book is like these five five people I think are stuck in a room with each other. And, Burning red room? And, uh, kind of. Um, and that hell is other people. So even the layers of like the sleeping curse, which is kind of like being dead a little bit, is there's like the dark room that Charming was in and then he had to break into the burning red room. That kind of reminds me of Dante's Inferno, um, like the layers of hell. And then hell is other people reminds me of what Regina said about people or what Rumpel said about people that they've killed waiting for them. Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to see the burning red room again. <laughs> Only a whole world. <laughs> Guys, this next season, it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> I 
kind of want to know what mythology books Adam and Eddie are reading <laughs> because they first off they keep switching between calling it hell and calling it the underworld and it's going to be important that those are not the same things that quote that Daniel just played from Rumpel that actually more describes the the sort of Christian concept of hell when people think about hell nowadays but there's been a lot of Greek mythology with the underworld as they have presented it thus far. So you have the ferryman, you have Karen, you have the fury. All of these are are Greek. And the the underworld that Rumpel describes is not the Greek underworld. It's the once upon a time Greek underworld. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, these people need to stay away from my happy place. This this is my last vestige of hope. It's fictional Greek mythology. Kind of like <laughs> fictional I, London. I oh gosh. Jacqueline's gonna drop the mic and walk out right now. That's my worst nightmare is they're gonna take my my precious Greek mythology and just mess it up. So I kinda wanted to de- distinguish between the two and at least talk about the differences. So the Greek underworld is divided into a lot of different sections. It's not just one layer of, you know, fire and brimstone and punishment. That's actually not a huge part of the underworld. And in Greek myth, most people probably would just call it Hades, who is also the god of the underworld. And I'll talk a little bit about him also in a minute. So you have the field of Asphodel. And this is just for people who didn't commit any crimes, but who lived an ordinary life. So no matter who you are and what you've done, you're going to go to the underworld. There is no, you know, you go to heaven or you go to hell. People who go to Olympus, the home of the gods, you have to have done something really, really, really special (laughs) to go there. But, you know, if you're just ordinary Greek Joe, you'll go to this place. But it's not like you're being punished for anything and there are no no torments like we associate with hell nowadays. There is a field of punishment where people who committed crimes could go, and Hades often did send the punishment for those individuals. But it's important to remember that the god Hades isn't the devil. He isn't, you know, this fallen angel who delights in torment and punishment. He actually was kind of an advocate for the rights of the dead. And if you came to him and you needed something, you know, you might have to pay a price, but, you know, you you can get out. There, <laughs> it's not like he's going to trap you there. And actually, the story of Hook and Emma right now is kind of a gender-swapped Orpheus and Eurydice, where Orpheus has to go down to the underworld and retrieve his lost love, Eurydice. Spoiler alert, it goes badly. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to go that route with Hook and Emma, but it, it's not like Hades the god would imprison you for all of time. There's also Elysium, or the Elysian Fields. Most people have probably heard of that. And it is the place for mortals who are related to the gods or the heroes. And it's a very beautiful place. It's conceived of as an island. Homer describes it as there's no snow, no heavy storm, no rain. It's this very, think, tropical paradise island. And then there is the final place, which is Tartarus. And Tartarus is actually quite nasty. It's the home of the Titans. If you know some Greek myth, then Zeus overthrew the Titans and cast them into Tartarus. Um, And that is where you do find a lot of really heavy punishment and judgment. And this is where that idea of the judgment fits the crime comes from. So you two of my favorite examples are Tantalus, who is forced to stand 
right beside a pool of water and he can't ever drink even though he's dying of thirst and hunger the entire for an eternity really and then sisyphus who is forced to push a rock up and down a hill but that's just tartarus and that's kind of very specific to just titans so when rumple talks about this underworld as being you know worse than the stories you hear of christian hell i'm like i i go back and go what mythology books are you reading adam and eddie because i don't understand <laughs> And I wonder, and I know you may not be able to speak to this uh, because of spoilers you may know, but I wonder, what is that going to look like? Okay, they've described this horrible thing. Now, how are they going to make it look? Just you wait and see. (laughs) Just you wait and see. Nice, very Eddie and Adam answer there. Thank you. I would be highly disappointed if we did not learn the answer to that question (laughs) on the premiere date. That's what I was going to say. Right. (laughs) Right. <laughs> I believe you will. <laughs> believe you'll learn that. Because maybe you've already seen it in a preview we didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my fault, okay? It just came on. <laughs> and I couldn't peel my eyes away from it. Mm. But they do seem to be saying that the Greek underworld is a totally separate realm. I mean, they're not going to the Enchanted Forest. They're not going, you know, back to that location. This is like going to Neverland where it's a completely separate world, (laughs) which I think could possibly be interesting because, I mean, is it like almost the focal point of all the other worlds? You know, if you think about that room with inside the top hat, is it like that the underworld is at the very center and then all the worlds surround it? And so that's why everybody from anywhere goes to the underworld. Was there a door in Jefferson's hat that might have been the underworld? It's under the lining at the bottom of the top hat. <laughs> <laughs> now, this brings with it several theories, of course. And Robert has this theory. He said, it seems that the second half of the season will involve Hercules, who also traveled to the underworld to rescue his love, Meg. Of course, Hercules became a demigod in doing so. And I don't think they're going to do that with Emma. But at the same time, who knows? The writers don't exactly have limits to the goofy directions they'll take this show. (laughs) Ultimately, Hercules was willing to sacrifice himself, as per your definition of savior, to save Meg. And was granted godhood in response to that sacrifice. Emma could be on the same path. She could become the next sorcerer, maybe? Maybe. Isn't this show about fairy tales? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, a lot of fairy tales have kind of that embedded here, you know, hero's journey and mm-hmm. fairy tales, lore, mythology, all of that. And one of my very favorite things in all of literature is the catabasis, which is the descent into the underworld, which is why I'm actually kind of excited for season B. Oh, interesting. And one of the big things is that the hero has to confront death, and that's how you know they're a hero is because they can do this thing, defeat death, that no one else can do. So Emma's descent into an underworld and then coming up again, having defeated death, is actually kind of perfectly in line with how the hero's journey is often conceived. And this idea that she could become a demigod or whatever. I mean, I don't think she's going to become a demigod, but there is a stage in the hero's journey that's called apotheosis. And that is sort of this res- this resurrection into godhood and becoming part of the divine. And for Emma, I think it means that she's going to become a fully realized savior, more so than she is now. If season 5A was a test of sorts, then season 5B is about her actually becoming the savior and doing 
whatever it is that the grander arc of Once Upon a Time wants Emma to do, which could be not only bringing back all the happy endings, but saving people maybe from death, which, you know, would fit with a lot of savior trope. Yeah, and it's a direction that, in a way, I think they shouldn't go that far with it because that starts, in in a way, kind of stepping on way too many toes, perhaps, and getting a bit too outlandish with this title of savior. I don't disagree. Yeah. My theory for a very long... I think it would be tricky, and I think, I think there's enough controversy with Once Upon a Time. Right. My theory, since this whole shebang began five years ago, is that Emma's true role as the savior and true love incarnate is to create a bridge between worlds, between this mundane reality that we live in and kind of this fantastical, divine, otherworldly enchanted forest and where people can come go and go freely because, you know, she creates this true love bridge or something. That's been my theory for a really long time. So that's where I think it's going. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. It gives a little uh, food for thought but i wonder after tonight maybe i'll go watch the preview even though i don't like spoilers just because i want to have some hope that's what the show's all about right it doesn't really spoil that much oh well i just still want to know why they all went i mean the charmings looked at everything going on around them and went guys let's just go sit at granny's and just wait for the end and now they get out of it and they're like let's actually go on purpose guys we don't know how we're getting back, but let's do it. And let's take Henry. And let's leave our infant behind. Yeah, don't forget, there. you have a baby, son and Jen. I mean, uh, David <laughs> and Mary Margaret. And also Robin and Regina. They've got two babies. Mm-hmm. They're two kids, basically. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah, Roland. But they're with the fairies. They're fine. Sure, because people should be left with the blue fairy because she's not shady at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. She's just not under contract. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, them leaving the babies behind without any kind of discussion disturbed a lot of people. Well, they're going to realize that they've missed all the the milestones of baby Neil that they missed with Emma while they were trying to like prove to Emma that they loved her but, and didn't mean And to that's how they're going to write in Ginny's second pregnancy. And what if when they come back <laughs> more time has passed. So Rumpel comes back and oh, Belle gosh. has had a baby and uh, all kinds of other things have happened. Kids have grown up. Uh-huh. So, so, so in- like they're lamenting like Charming and Snow are going, we did it again. We missed all those first with the baby. And David goes, well, third time's a Charming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Nice. Um, actually in Buffy, when they went to the underworld, time moved a lot faster. <laughs> So mm-hmm. less time passed on Earth than what passed in the underworld. So like months. I won't lie. I am waiting for a casting call for some kind of, you know, princely like guy who has a mysterious relationship connection with Snow and Charming. I'm waiting for that to be dropped <laughs> on me because I'm going to be like, it's going to be Prince Snowflake who's all grown up. You mean Except Neil. they're going to give him a code name of like Edgar. Yeah. <laughs> no, if they use Jack, if they use Jack, that's how I'll know, because that was Neil's casting call. 
when they were kind of putting out fake casting calls while they were talking to Michael Raymond James. <laughs> now, here's uh, an interesting piece of critical feedback we received from Marcy saying, is anyone else tired of half a season pretending to be a full season? Look at how amazing Once Upon a Time in Wonderland was. Surprise, you can stay in one realm slash world slash story for a while and have it be awesome. Everything needs to be more fleshed out. So many of these characters that are being introduced are forgettable. If the writers don't care enough about them to make them real to us, why should we, or would we, care? Where are the twists with who they really are? When Peter Pan turned out to be Rumpel's father, that was the most epic moment of the entire series, in my opinion. Are all these new people just fillers? Do any of them actually mean anything to the story as a whole? I think that stories go through progressive creations. They grow up. They change. You can see this in other TV shows. So I'm going to reference something here, not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Smallville, the TV show about Superman. It was named after the small town, Smallville. And for the majority or the first portion of the series, it took place in Smallville. And it was about events in Smallville that affected Superman. But then at some point, the series changed and it was no longer Smallville. That was the sometimes visited place. It became really about Metropolis and Superman's Mm. journey inside of Metropolis and other worlds and stuff too. So it grew beyond its original point. And there have been many TV shows that have been like that. I think Once Upon a Time is that same way where it's grown beyond the point of we're trying to figure out who these people are. Heroes also, the first season of Heroes was who has what powers and how are these people connected? After that, you knew. They didn't reapproach that. They mm-hmm. did different things. And Once Upon a Time will do that. I would like to go back to something like that, but it can be very difficult when you've already answered the questions. Well, I'd like to point out two things in response to that. I agree that it can be done, but here's the thing. Once Upon a Time in Wonderland was only 13 episodes. And look what they managed to do in that time. I was actually excited when the story arc thing started um, because we had lived through season two. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, season one was obviously pretty good. Aside from I could have done with a little less uh, time on the sort of Mary Margaret in jail, Catherine stuff, but it still was pretty good, even though it was a longer season. But there are a lot of shows, especially British shows, that they only do like a 13-episode season, period. It's not two halves. It's That's just how long a season is, and it's generally a much tighter, well-planned story. And that's the whole idea behind it is that you don't have to stretch the story out, so you can just tell there's, there shouldn't be any fluff in 13 episodes. But that being said, there needs to be it needs to be justifiable that the arc wraps up in 13 or it should be something that's part of a larger arc that is going to go over multiple seasons. I agree that we should stop the split season method, but it's not necessarily for the reason about Marcy is talking about here about fleshed out, although I think it's it plays into this. It's that they've kind of lost a lot of the emotional drive of the story for me because they're taking one episode to build the surprise guest star or something. And it, it feels so underwhelming and lackluster. And for this season, I look at Lancelot and Guinevere, which is supposed to be one of the most epic love stories of all time. And 
it was so flat and uninteresting in their episode. And then even with Marlin and Nimoy, while it was more compelling than Lancelot and Guinevere, largely because of the Dark One stuff that was going on, it still, you know, it was one episode of, here, these two meet. Next scene, they're in love. Let's go on an adventure. And bad things happen. <laughs> so because they're trying to tell all this emotional backstory in just one episode, you lose so much of the heart. And it's every episode now is plot, 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 plot. I feel as though the characters spend more time talking about the plot to each other in order to make the audience understand what's going on that they never actually get to have any kind of human conversations. And that's really what I'm missing a lot from looking back at season one. Well, this has been a long discussion about this episode, <laughs> and I know there will be more to theorize about as well. So you can continue the conversation in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 225 or in the forums. We also have some upcoming cool events like a Once Upon a Time Podcasters Roundtable which will be on Monday night, December 14th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Look at our Twitter account, Once Podcast, for information about that, when we'll be going live and the links to that and such. And we'll be doing some stuff over the hiatus, a little bit of stuff here and there, like reviewing Gallivant and maybe doing some other stuff in preparation for the return of Season 5. Once Upon a Time returns on March 6th, so you'll want to be ready for that. There will probably be some kind of little one-hour special beforehand, so you might want to be prepared for that. And we can probably assume the season finale will be on Mother's Day, again, since they've done that for the last several years. So start planning. Try and make your way to Cincinnati, because we'll probably have another season finale party, if not a series finale party in the greater Cincinnati area again. And we'll uh, release more information about that later on. Please share this episode out with your family and friends by clicking on our sharing buttons on the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 225 and connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Phlegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. I'm Hunter Hathaway on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. This episode and each episode of Once Podcast would not be possible without our great team helping make it all awesome. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline providing our spoilers. No spoilers this episode, but you'll hear some in January. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating our forums and Keb managing our timeline at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. And special thanks to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for making the discussion interesting, deep, fascinating, entertaining, and all of that. <laughs> it's going to be a long hiatus ahead of us. So have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and happy all other holidays in between now and when Once Upon a Time returns. And we'll see you again somewhere over the rainbow. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.
Big thanks to our heroes for making this episode of the podcast possible. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support.